And so we greet each other very simply. And, but our greetings are kind of just relational manners. We don't just jump right into the main thing or just ignore somebody that you know. Now, Paul has a greeting at the beginning of Galatians. And unlike our greetings that are more just kind of formalities, good manners, this greeting is a much more intentional and weighty than that. Uh, he is showing good manners, but he's also always at the beginning of his letters indicating what he's going to mainly be about in the letter. So if you remember last week, the first two verses are, you need to listen because I'm an apostle. So he's going to deal with his authority as one chosen by God the Father and Jesus Christ to bring the message of the gospel. They need to trust what he's going to say because of the authority God gave him. So one of the main things in this letter is going to be his authority and the authority of the word of God coming through the prophets and the apostles. Now in our verse, he's going to say grace to you and peace from the Father, from the Son who gave himself for our sins. He's going to get into the gospel, especially the gospel of justification by faith. That's going to be the second main thing in Galatians. And so right away at the beginning, he's going to give us the things that the gospel or that the book is going to be about. The authority of the word of God through the apostles and the gospel of grace. That we are welcomed by God because of his grace through Christ and only by faith. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Let me read. I'm going to read the first five verses, and we'll be looking mainly at verses 3 to 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we know that your blessing is on those whose walk is blameless, and yet we also know that ours is not. So we praise you for the gift of Christ's righteousness, and we do praise you that we have your word, your word and the power of your spirit so that we can walk in a way that is pleasing to you. And so God, may your blessing be on us as we seek you with our whole heart. We seek to walk in your way. Keep our eyes fixed. God, we seek to be steadfast in keeping your rules. And so God, help us. Keep our eyes fixed on your commandments that we might praise you with an upright heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we are... In the beginning of this letter, if you remember, there's a few parts to it. First five verses are a greeting. The rest of chapter one and chapter two are Paul giving you an autobiographical account of why he is an apostle and why we should listen to him because he's got that authority. Chapters uh, three and four then are simply about justification by faith. So what is justification by faith? Justification by faith is that truth in the gospel that the only way you are acceptable to God is by faith in God's Son, and that's it. It's not by your works. It's not by your heritage. It's not by your wealth. It's not by your beauty. It's not by your citizenship in which country. 
It is only by faith in Christ alone who died and rose. That's the only way to be counted righteous with God. That's the main thing of this book. And then in chapters 4 and 5, he's going to apply it. How to live it. As he said, kids, the main way to live it is to respect your parents, to honor your father and mother. Faith works. Faith leads to a kind of life. So that's Galatians in a nutshell. And we are still in the greeting section. Our section, verses 3, 4, and 5, has three parts. Paul prays for, think of these three verses like a prayer. They are a prayer. Paul praying that God the Father and the Son's grace and peace would be given to them. Second, he gives them the gospel in a very wonderful statement in verse 4. The doctrine of the gospel. And then closes with a, Continuing prayer that all of this would result to God, to God's glory, that is. To him be the glory forever and ever. So grace and peace. You've heard these words before, I assume. Grace and peace. What do they mean? Can you ever hear them too often? We can't. Luther says that uh, we can't have them beaten into our heads too much. Now, the purpose of this letter is correction. He is correcting them from turning from the grace of God to works. And so he prays right away that that grace would come to them again, that they would turn back from their foolishness back to the grace of God. And yet in this letter written with a tone of not commendation but correction, Paul prays right at the beginning that God's grace and God's peace would be theirs. So this is a short prayer. Paul desires God's goodness and kindness and friendship to come from them. He knows that everything we depend on comes from God. God is not stingy, and yet we must ask for these things. So learn that right away. What is a good thing to be praying for people? That God's grace and peace would be theirs. Isn't that a simple thing? I mean, what if you took the directory and prayed for one page a day and just simply paid, prayed for God's grace and God's peace from the Father and the Son to come to them. Wouldn't that be a good thing to pray for? So what is grace? What is grace, kids? What is grace? This is the central truth in the Bible, the grace of God. The grace of God is all the good that we receive from God, though we don't deserve it at all. It's to be the objects of God's kindness, but not because we've earned it or deserved it or merited it. Another way to say grace is gift. Okay, so on Mother's Day, some of you maybe made cards or you got your mom a gift, and you don't get that because she's been a good mother all year long, right? You just get that for her because she's your mother. Because you love her, you care for her, you want to give her a gift to express your love for her. So God's gift to us, the grace to us, is his son. So when you hear grace, think Jesus. When you hear the term grace in the Bible, think God's gift of his son. That you might be reconciled to him. So this is... The biblical truth of grace, God's Son. It's God giving goodness to us through His Son. We see this throughout the Bible. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? 
What did God do? Where did we see God's grace right at the beginning in Adam and Eve's sin? What does God do for them? He clothes them. That's Christ. He clothes our sin, us in our sin. He covers it. Or think of Noah. Did Noah deserve the warning and the plans to build the ark? No. But isn't the ark Christ? Isn't Christ the only way through God's judgment and wrath? Think of God feeding Israel in the wilderness. Manna. Did Israel deserve it? Not a bit of it. In fact, right after delivering them from Egypt, they made their own God in their own image and began to worship and bow down to it with a whole bunch of crazy, gross sin along with it. Did they deserve it? No. But what are we fed on but Christ? What is our bread but Christ? And over and over and over again, we see these examples of God's grace, which is ultimately Christ. And so this grace is, you are forgiven if you have faith in Christ. You're forgiven by God. That's the grace of God. He prays then for grace and peace. Peace is the fruit of grace. Peace is the gift of God that comes from having received God's grace. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that we have peace with God. How? How can we have peace with God? Only because of his grace through Christ. That's it. The peace we have with God is a result of our sins being removed. Peace is closely connected with happiness and contentment. When you have peace, you're happy, right? When you have peace, you're content. And that comes alone through our relationship with Christ. And notice that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are the source of it. And this church in Galatia has been acting as enemies of Paul. They're maligning him. They've listened to lies and gossip about him. They're rejecting the truth that he brought to them. And yet, though they act like enemies, Paul still pay, prays for God's grace and peace. Isn't that something? When's the last time you prayed that the grace of God and the peace of God would be given to your political enemy? Huh? To those that we don't have really anything in common with on the other side of the political spectrum. When's the last time when you were in a spat with your wife or your husband and you were being convinced that he or she was your enemy, that you prayed for God's grace and peace to be given to them? Now, that's grace and peace. A brief note here. We see that the grace and peace come from the Father, God the Father, God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are parallel, equal in this verse. Grace is something in the Bible that only comes from God. And so here we have the Lord Jesus Christ as the source of grace, parallel with God the Father, which is simply communicating that Jesus Christ is eternally God. 
and that the grace that we need comes from God the Father and from the Son, and that they are in unity on this for us. It isn't like the Father and the Son and the Spirit are up in heaven having a a fight over whether or not to give them grace and peace. No, God the Father sent His Son who was willing to come. The Holy Spirit has come and applied this truth to our lives. They're in unity over giving you their peace because they've given us grace through Christ. And so, Mom, God's grace from the Father and the Son is yours through faith in Christ. This is for you. This is what God has for you. So the grace and peace then move right along into explaining it more fully. This gospel in verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. He did so for the purpose of delivering us from the present evil age. And all of that was according to the will of our God and Father. So if you remember again, there was a doctrinal error here in Galatia, in these churches. They believed wrongly. And as I pointed out last week, the fruit of their error, their fruit of their doctrinal error, was all kinds of relational disharmony. In chapter 5, we have these desires of the flesh, the, the works of the flesh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. There is a statement that Christians have long said, doctrine divides, Christ unites. Heard that before? Doctrine divides, Christ unites. Can't we just be Jesus-only kind of Christians? Can't we just focus on the gospel and all the other doctrine? Just set aside. No, because it's actually doctrine unites. Bad doctrine divides. Warm heart towards God's truth, all of it, unites. Believing wrongly divides. That's why in every letter of Paul that's written to a church that has doctrinal error, he's constantly going after them at the end of the letter about all of their disunity and disharmony and fighting and enmity and strife because their bad doctrine has led to bad living, especially relationally. And the doctrine mainly that we need to unite on is the gospel. So verse 4 is doctrine. And it's the doctrine of Christ gave himself for our sins. This is the sum of the gospel. To be Christian is to know this verse. What does it mean to be American? Fourth of July, apple pie, baseball, right? There are certain things that mark you out as an American. What does it mean to be a Rhinelanderian? Simple, right? Dean Hodeg? Green? Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? 
It means simply that you know that you believe Christ gave himself for my sins. He gave himself for our sins. For our sins. So the gospel includes some terrible news. And it's not terrible news of something out there in the world that happened. Mainly it's, it's not terrible news of a tragedy that you feel bad for and want to send some money to the Red Cross to help. It's terrible news about you. And what you're truly like in heart, in nature. That it's so bad that God's son had to give himself on the cross for. So the best way to understand how bad you are is to see what had to happen to resolve the problem. It's so bad. Your wickedness is so bad. Kids, your unwillingness to honor your mother is so bad. Mothers, your harshness towards your children, your nitpicking, your permissiveness and refusing to discipline them is so bad that the only way to absolve it, the only way to atone for it, isn't through you doing anything. Your sin is so bad that you are disqualified from doing anything. Your sin is so bad that anyone else is disqualified from doing anything, any other human. God's Son left heaven, took on our flesh, lived without sin, and died on the cross for your arrogance, for your screaming at your children, for your fatherly abandonments, for your greed, for your refusal to tithe, for your pornography, for your lies. This is what Paul is bringing us back to. The only way to deal with sin is Christ on the cross. The only right response to Christ on the cross is faith. Not works. Not you, but Christ. But this is the central truth. He gave himself. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what are we celebrating? But his body given for you. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us all. 1 Timothy 2.6, Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. 
1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. This is the gospel. This is salvation. This is grace and peace. That gospel, that sacrifice, that giving of himself was for a purpose. To deliver us from this present evil age. What does that mean? I think we know what it means. Just open your eyes. It's not that nature, creation, was created bad. The testimony in the Bible is that it was good, very good. It's that through the temptation of Eve and then Adam, through their fall into sin, that we've been corrupted. And we now live in a world that is depraved. It's those separated from God. The present evil age are all of those apart from God's grace, those who don't belong to Christ. It's the corruption and depravity that we're conceived in and live out. Don't you see it in the world? Don't you see it? Don't you see how terribly we corrupt the goodness of God making us male and female? Don't you see all the rampant pride and greed of those who rule over us? Don't you see the destruction of the home and the craziness of divorce and how it destroys children? Don't we see the present evil age? And don't you know that it owns you? You were enslaved to it. You were part of it. You loved it, actually. You didn't want less of it. You wanted more of it. You were, like Israel, delivered from Egypt, longing for the days of being back in Egypt. You love it. You're part of it. You're a worldling. We needed to be delivered from it, rescued from it, plucked up out of it, cleaned off, and made new. Christ delivered us from that. This is why he came. This is Christmas, isn't it? Why did Christ come? Why was he willing to humble himself and enter the womb of a virgin and be born just like you and I. Why? To deliver God's people from this. Why was he willing to give himself to the cross? Why was he willing to endure the shame? To deliver you from this present evil age. And yet, don't we often, having been delivered, Go right back to it. Don't we? Don't we long for what we were delivered from? This is the age we live in. We're already delivered, but not yet fully. We're already freed, but not yet realizing the full extent of our freedom. So we're not to use our freedom to serve our flesh, 
but to serve others in love. Because Christ gave himself to free us from this. Why would we go back to it? And this all happened according to the will of our God and Father. Sometimes we mistakenly think that what Christ did gets God the Father to love us. Do you understand what I mean? That before Christ died and before you came to faith, God the Father didn't love you. And that only because Christ died and only because you turned to Christ, now the Father loves me. That's, that's mistaken. Did you know that? That's not true. It was the love of God the Father that sent the Son to die for his elect people, for his people. So we're seeing here. It was according to the will of our God and Father that the Son gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus' sacrifice didn't get the Father to love you. The Father's love sacrificed Jesus for you. The Father's love is what willed Christ to come and give himself. The Father's love is what willed your deliverance from the condemnation of the world. I believe this is a helpful explanation of the doctrine of election. That the sovereign goodness of God, motivated by love, in love he predestined us to be rescued by the sacrifice of Christ and through faith. This is grace. This is grace. He didn't do this because there was something sweet in you that caused him to do it. He didn't, he didn't do this for you because he foresaw that you would be this wonderful Christian man or wonderful Christian woman or wonderful Christian child. He did this of his own accord, out of his own love, for his glory. And so how long has God the Father loved you, Mom? From forever. He's not waiting around to see if you'll be a good mom. He's not waiting around to see if you'll meet his expectations as the kind of mom before he puts his love on you. He has loved you from before the foundations of the world. And so sent his son to redeem you from all of your mommy's sins. That's the truth of the gospel. That's grace. Now, one of the pitfalls of fathering and mothering and any relationships is you demanding from others what you yourself are unwilling to do. Do you, do you, do you know what I mean? Where you are harsh and nagging, and just pressure, pressure, pressure on somebody else to do something, but you yourself don't do it. You want God's grace to change them, but not you. 
You want to apply God's grace and demand them to change, but you aren't willing to apply God's grace first and demand that you change. But that's not God's kind of grace, is it? It gives. It gives. It lays down. It sends. And so we are to come to know this grace such that we extend it to others. That the first place we ask God's grace to change is here. That we don't go picking specks out of others' eyes while we beat them upside the head with the plank coming out of our own eye. And so moms, dads, moms, apply this grace of God to your heart. Embrace the grace of the freedom of God from your sins such that you realize he sent his son not because you're so significant, not because you're so good, not because everything you put on Facebook is true at all, because it was according to his will in love. And this is all for the glory of God. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer. God, please give them grace and peace. God, please give them the grace and peace of knowing this gospel again. That Christ gave himself to deliver them. It was all according to your will. God, May that result in glory to you forever and ever. Amen. Do you know the only prayer that you can always be assured will be answered? We have a lot of things that we pray for that we have to attach if your will be done. Everything we have to attach that to. We have to pray knowing that it may or may not be God's will, but we're seeking our Heavenly Father and asking Him to do it. But we don't know whether or not He will or not. But not that. That is the prayer that we can always be assured he will answer. God, you be glory forever and ever. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, we see around God on his throne, surrounding the, the Lamb, gathered singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I don't know that there's a truth that should get you going more than the truth that I want God to be glorified. John Calvin says of these verses of this gospel, this gospel is so glorious, so glorious is this redemption that it should ravish us with wonder. What is that ravishing us with wonder but glorifying the Father? Are you ravished with wonder that Christ gave himself for your sins? Are you ravished with wonder that he gave himself to deliver you from this world and from all the condemnation that's had? Are you ravished with wonder that all of this happened according to the will of the Father who planned it and purposed it and accomplished it in love? Does it ravish you with wonder? One of the challenges to it ravishing you with wonder is the devil and your own flesh. Because you say to you, 
You're a sinner. You're no good. Don't you know what you did yesterday? You've done this or that. You're disgusting. You're, you're no better than a tick, a flea. You say that kind of stuff to yourself? We're reminded. And what can you say but in return to yourself, in return to the devil? That's what Luther says. Because you say to me, because my flesh says to me that I'm a sinner, therefore all I have left is Christ. Because you say to me, I am a sinner, therefore all I have is his righteousness, and so I'll be saved. I go to Christ, who gave himself for my sins. Therefore nothing you say, devil, therefore nothing I say to myself, or anything anyone else says can come against me. Bring it on. Bring it on, flesh. Bring it on, enemy. Heap all the contempt you can, because it will only cause me all the more to go to Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me, because the Father so loved that he sent him to do so. And so, Christian, this truth is your armor. This truth is your defense. This is all of our hope. This is all of our love. This is all of our salvation. This is God's grace and peace. Let's pray. Father, help us to have the faith to armor ourselves with this truth that Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, gave himself for our sins, that he delivered us, and that you planned it and accomplished it all according to your will. And so, God, help us to believe it. Help us to cram it into our heads and our hearts. Assist us by your Holy Spirit to be ravished with wonder at hearing it again. And, Father, help us then to love others likewise with grace and patience and mercy and consideration and giving of ourselves for them as your son gave himself for us. But mainly, God, help us to know this gospel and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.